Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. I'm Mark McGettigan, a.k.a. the FPL General. I've had three top 500 finishes during my time as a Fantasy Premier League manager, and I want to help you to be the very best fantasy manager you can be. So join me every week as I share my tips, tricks, and insight on the Athletics FPL podcast on Apple, Spotify, and all the usual places, and listen ad-free on the Athletic app. The Athletic. Straight out of Cobham is the podcast for all the very best Chelsea coverage from The Athletic. On this episode, we audit the first team squad, talk cosy dinners, roaring lionesses, do a quiz and more. Available for free wherever you get your podcasts and ad-free on The Athletic. This is Straight Out of Cobham. Hello, listener. How are you doing? Uh, yeah, very well, thanks. It's me, Matt Davis-Adams, joined by two of the Athletics Chelsea experts today. Simon Johnson's back with us from America. How are you doing, Simon? Wonderful. <laughs> Vintage Johnson. Um, <laughs> Dominic Fifield's also with us, live from the Athletic offices. Uh, your soundproofing looks on point. Dom, what about your opinions on Chelsea? <laughs> <laughs> Oh dear, that's not a very good start, is it? Um, <laughs> Big energy on this week's show. <laughs> like Chelsea in pre-season against Arsenal, showing the energy. <laughs> the soundproofing is excellent. I'd, I'd just like to say that the, uh, this foam is, is fantastic. It's slightly daunting when you're surrounded by it, but everything else is fine. And Chelsea, yeah, Chelsea will be fine. Stop whinging. All right, let's get to that then. It was a while ago, but but Saturday night, Chelsea's Tour of America ended with a 4-0 thumping uh, by Arsenal in Florida. Maybe you watched this uh, with Jason Cundy and I, listener, on, on Chelsea's online platforms. Well done if you did, particularly if you're in the UK, because it was quite the match to stay up for. No Simon, no party, basically. That <laughs> uh, was the thing here, wasn't it? Simon, you leave America and Chelsea's tour collapses into fast. What can I say? The players need me. They need my reassuring presence to, <laughs> to, to lift them to great heights. Uh, it was... it was a, I was watching and listening... Uh, to you guys, you did a wonderful job um, to sound remotely upbeat. Um, although by the end, it did. <laughs> Some of your commentary was was brilliant, Matt. <laughs> it really summed up uh, how everyone must have been feeling Chelsea wise because it, it was a shambolic performance pretty much from kick off. There is the caveat that that Tuchel tried playing four at the back, which in the first half, and not with his. I'm sure his ideal centre-half partnership of Silva and, and Chalabar. But it also looked like a team uh, that was ahead of their preparation in Arsenal. Uh, they, they looked sharp, they looked ready to go a few weeks ahead of Chelsea. Chelsea just look undercooked, as well as perhaps not being good enough on the night. They didn't look match-sharp to me. Even little simple things like passing, the passing was off. So in the few times they did have 
a chance to break, a pass would be just hit too hard. Or, I mean, the the opening goal, for example, came Chalaba makes a fine interception and then tries a rather ambitious ball that gets cut out and, and instantly Jesus is played in. It's just far too easy. So, yeah, very poor performance, very disappointing result. But I was in Beijing five years ago when Chelsea thumped Arsenal 3-0 in, in similar circumstances. A few weeks later, two teams played each other again at the Community Shield and Arsenal actually beat Chelsea on penalties. So let, let's not be completely fatalistic and think that everything's falling apart all of a sudden. But yeah, understandably, everyone's a bit concerned. Tom, I always yeah, or have previously thought it's a bit of a cop-out when people talk about, or oh, they're not quite fit enough yet, they're not quite as ready as their opponents, because I, I work on the assumption that all professional athletes are always fairly fit at all times. But you really noticed it in, in this game, didn't you? And you wonder, you know, was that because a lot of these players had only been playing 45 minutes per game? And if so, should they have been playing more than that? Or do you just take it on the chin and say, well, we might lose 4-0 to Arsenal uh, in pre-season, but we've planned the pre-season this way. We've loaded the minutes onto the players in a certain way in the expectation that come Everton on the 6th of August, they'll be where we want them to be fitness-wise. I think you have to trust the sports scientists on that and they, they will have a method to, their, to, to the amount of time they're giving these players um, it may be to Thomas Tuchel's frustration. It often is to a head coach's frustration. He, he wants to play them more. But if there's a pattern and they're building up fitness, and we shouldn't, I don't know, I was talking to someone the other day. I mean, it, it's been such a short, closed season this year. I don't think these guys will have lost a dramatic amount of fitness over the, over this summer. This was basically a month at most for any of the players away. So it's not like the old days where people are coming back you know, to their clubs for for pre-season two stone overweight. That doesn't happen anymore. These these guys look after themselves. So I, I don't think it's a, it's a massive problem. But the one thing that I did wonder whether was playing some kind of part in the rather sluggish nature of much of Chelsea's pre-season um, is, a, is a more of a mental fatigue. Now, I'm, I'm loath to, to use the comparisons with clubs that have gone through administration, but what happened with Chelsea towards the last, well, over the last three months of last season was similar to that was approaching it there was uncertainty around the club's future and around the players and and what would be happening with them Uh, so they lived through a difficult period and then there was this massive relief when the takeover goes through and I think actually when you do look at clubs who have been in administration for any length of time when the takeover eventually goes through there is a sort of rush of adrenaline and everybody's very very positive for a while and then Suddenly, this wave of exhaustion hits you, and the players. And I, I, I speak from experience from what with my club, Crystal Palace, a few years back, came out of administration in the summer. Everybody was very, very upbeat, and they they proceeded to. I think they got they lost five one at Crawley, six nil at Millwall in pre season. They were getting absolutely battered because the players, although they'd had a few extra bodies come in to sort of replenish the ranks and re-energise the players. The players were basically the same, which is what Thomas Tuchel is saying. And everybody's just knackered because they've gone through the mill last season. Um, and I, and I, I do wonder whether that's part of it. And that, in some ways, is it's, it's why it's so important they do bring new faces in um, before the closure of the window, not just in terms of the balance of the squad, but also just to to lift the place and, and, and to re-energise things and revitalise uh, the squad at Cobham. On that, Simon, it's not going to be Jules Koundé by the look of it. It seems Barcelona have won that race slash marathon. 
Yep, yep. Um, they're expected. Announcement may have been made by the time this goes out. Um, it's been a really, really strange saga, the Kunde saga, because Chelsea should have perhaps should have signed him last summer. Um, Severe then moved the goalposts in terms of what they're asking for the last minute. Um, but the expectation was the deal would be done this summer instead. Personal terms would effectively been agreed since last year. Um, but Chelsea decided to prioritise other players. And you can imagine the kind of message that that sent out to Kunde. You, you're going to think, well, you know, how much do you really want me? Plus, as is the case with Rafinha, it's Barcelona. You know, there's a reality check here for all Chelsea fans. Yes, Chelsea are a big club, but in the grand scheme of things, when a Barcelona, Bayern Munich, as we saw with De Ligt, a Real Madrid... When Chelsea are up against those kind of clubs, they're going to struggle because they are the the clubs that, that all players want to join. Um, I don't think it's a particular disaster because, like I said, I, I, I'm not entirely convinced that Thomas Tuchel had made him the the centre of his plans. Um, so Chelsea will now look for, for other targets. But I, I think there's an overriding kind of concern among among the fan base now that after a strong start with Sterling and, and Koulibaly, that suddenly things have gone a little bit quiet. And given that Tuchel wants up to six players total to come in, um, the season starts in just over a week's time, it feels like we won't really see Chelsea's first team until after the window, like in terms of a, a solidified, this is what it's going to be. We won't know what it's going to look like until after the season's begun. And that's never a good thing. It's never a, something a manager wants. He, he ideally wants his, all his players to work with in pre-season, not try and blend them in after a, the uh, the campaign has got underway. So not Kunde. Kim Pembe seems to have gone a bit quiet. Dom, there's been links with Wesley Fofana, a great defender. Bit of a risk, though, given the amount of time that, that he's missed through injury? Well, he had a long-term injury, but... He's recovered from that. He he was back in the Leicester first team towards the end of last season. I, I'd be very surprised if Leicester City were prepared to let him go. Leicester City have done no business whatsoever so far this year and they're about to lose Kasper Schmeichel, um, most likely to Nice. So I'd be very, very surprised if they would countenance a, a bid. It would have to, it would take something absolutely mind-boggling to, to persuade them. And I know they get good fees out of clubs, not least Chelsea. Um, but... To be honest, uh, that would leave them with an awful lot to do before the before the closure of the window in finding replacements. So I'd, I'd be surprised. Just half wondered, Simon, if maybe Leicester hadn't done anything because they needed to bring some money in before they could spend any. Um, and, and optimistically, you kind of go, well, could we interest you in a Ross Barkley as part of this deal? But um, <laughs> as we've seen, that, that that's not really particularly tempting for many people. <laughs> he can, well, there's quite a few players, Chelsea, sort of, could throw into any kind of bundle um but the problem is is the wages and 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 this is the the reality that i think the new owners are are sort of realizing that and not only is it difficult to attract players but getting rid of the players you don't want is a challenge because these guys are on big big money and there's a very small pool now of, of clubs that are prepared to spend that kind of money on wages, particularly on players that they know, you know, aren't sort of wanted by Chelsea or haven't been doing many things at Chelsea. 
um, it's, a, it's a tough ask to sort of offload them. So that, that's the other part of the challenge that Chelsea face over the next month is is trying to trim this very bloated squad, a squad that's full of players that have been around for a few years and have not delivered. Um, that's why I've, I've argued, I'm sure perhaps on this podcast before, that it's going to take more than one window to, to fix this. And certainly a, something I said in a column earlier this week, it, it, Chelsea are in a transitional period. I don't think anyone can remotely consider them to be one of the title favourites. If they can get a place in the top four, that's that's a good season in my book. Well, we'll talk about movements and, and who's doing what in the squad more when we go through our audit shortly. A couple of other news lines to talk about first. Though. Chelsea, by the way, playing Udinese in Italy on Friday in their final pre-season game. Uh, interesting story in The Athletic earlier this week. David Ornstein reporting that Todd Bowley organised a dinner for Premier League club executives earlier this week after the Premier League shareholders meeting. That was a nice gesture. Don, what, what do you think the motives behind it were? Just just a getting to know you or, or a kind of, hey, listen, meet the new guys, not the same as the old guys. Bruce Buck wasn't particularly popular with other Premier League executives by the time he left. I imagine that's very much part of it. Yeah, just to to talk to meet these the guys that he's going to be sitting around a, a table with shaping the Premier League's future. Uh, also, he would he would hope to be speaking with a fair few of them about transfer targets and as Simon says, trying to flog the likes of Ross Bartley and Mishi Batshuayi. So um, getting in their good books early on is is a, a decent idea. Um, I just think he's finding his finding his feet, trying to trying to get the lay of the land and and, and work out how this all functions. Really, um, he is new to football. Obviously, this whole group is really effectively new, new to football, um, and they need to to work out the the politics and the the alliances, the cliques, all that, all that type of thing that will inevitably happen when, when twenty Premier League chair people get round a table and discuss the future of the division. There's another motive as well. Just generally, that um, the new owners have another motive as well in terms of they think that the Premier League, bizarrely, given the, the remarkable TV deals that the Premier League strike, um, is undervalued and that. One of the things that they're they're going to look to do is is really sort of generate more, try and generate more cash revenue for the Premier League, um, which of course they will themselves benefit from as owners of Chelsea. So th- this may also be part of their the thinking is you know over a nice glass of wine or whatever is to start those conversations sort of how to how to sort of um, you know put plans in place for generating more revenue from from what is, as they all say, the best league in the world. It's encouraging and, and sort of refreshing, isn't it, Simon, from a, from a Chelsea supporter's perspective or even you know a player or somebody who works for the club that they're clearly hands-on and interested. It, it's not, obviously, it's a, you know an investment fund which has provided a lot of the money, but they want to be involved in the day-to-day running of the club in a way that obviously wasn't the case under, under Roman Abramovich. Yeah, very much so. Um, I mean, they've made that abundantly clear by getting rid of all the hierarchy, which took us all by surprise. And, and maybe, I, I still wonder if it was a bit of a bit of a mistake, given the, the, the needs of the, the transfer window to get rid of people that have been there and done it. 
and take it all on your own shoulders is is it's a very very demanding task and um certainly Todd Bowley's been clocking up the air miles but yeah it's very much a passion it's not it's not a hobby they really want to make this work and and of course you know when you invest that amount of money you you wouldn't want it to fail would you but i do think that it's important you know they've obviously um got Tom Glick in to take care of the commercial side of the business but i do think a sporting director to help on the actual player recruitment and contracts and player sales side, that is an, an important um, appointment to get in, uh, something that they're, they're hoping to do before the next January window. And I think we're sort of seeing, and perhaps they're realising just how hard the sort of the player trade business is, is in football. Yeah, that's an important thing to do. But yeah, you're right. You're right to say, Matt, that uh, yeah, no one can accuse them of... Um, just putting some money in and then disappearing off in the distance. They, and we're going to see them a lot, I think, at Stamford Bridge as well. I, I think we're going to get used to, hopefully, Chelsea will score some goals. Uh, the camera panning to the to them sitting in their boxes celebrating, just uh, like in the old days when Abramovich would be uh, enjoying himself. Uh, well, they've certainly put their investment into the women's team so far, and we ought to give some congratulations to Millie Bright and Fran Kirby, who once again starred as England reached the final of Euro 2022, beating Sweden 4-0 at Bramall Lane on Tuesday. Uh, I think, Dom, that Fran Kirby had probably her best game of the tournament. Bit lucky with her goal, maybe. But Millie Bright, again, absolutely sensational. Th those two have been key to, to England's success, haven't they? Obviously, Beth Mead's got, got most of the headlines and she's been brilliant. But Bright and Kirby, standouts for Serena Wiegmann so far. Yeah, um, I think I'm right in saying that England have only conceded once so far on route to the final. Um, so that reflects very well on, on Millie Bright. With Kirby, England started quite nervously for a game that they won four 0 I thought they were they, for the first sort of ten fifteen minutes they didn't look particularly comfortable. But but when when Kirby got the ball, she did look. Her touch was good. It was assured. Um, her movement was quite clever, and I think that actually served to to reassure the, her teammates. And that it was it turned out to be I mean a fantastic win but she was very much integral to it and and her energy and and vision and creativity was was very much key to to England's success and to cap it all with a the idea was perfect for the for the lob um for the fourth goal but I mean, okay it went in off the the goalkeeper's glove but I thought she thoroughly merited the the goal the reward and and to be such a key part of a fantastic win yeah, former Blues keeper Hedvig Lindahl it was who was beaten and, and for every winner there is of course a, a loser and Leslie you might have seen Magda Eriksson the Sweden skipper fighting back the tears in her post-match interview. Simon I'm fascinated by this. I, I get the feeling that footballers are able to put these kind of things in a box but when they get back for pre-season training you know I think of say Mason Mount and Jorginho last year do you just make a joke about it quickly and move on do you think and then never speak of it again because it's got to be a little bit awkward right? Hey we smashed you 4-0 in the semi-final and made you cry on the telly. Yeah, I'd put the scoreline up in the dressing room, just you know, <laughs> by the lock, her locker. Yeah. No, I, I think that players are pros. You know, you, you sort of see it with, um, for example, I hate to bring it back to the men's game, but for example, Jordan Henderson comforting Mason Mount after the FA Cup final penalty miss. You know that they're pros. You know, of course, they're personally devastated, but. It doesn't mean they're going to stop being friends and stop being good teammates with each other. There'll be a bit of a wound there, but come come sort of reporting back for Chelsea, I don't think there'll be any issue. You know, the Chelsea women will all be together to to try and win more trophies. So, 
yeah, I just think at the time, yeah, it's obviously going to be hard, but come come start the season, it will be forgotten. You say all that, side, but Sam Parkin hasn't said a word to me all week since I walloped him in last week's quiz. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, that that was a crushing defeat. I mean, I think I'll, show, I'll be talking in... Uh, from personal experience in about 20 minutes. <laughs> Not if uh, if Lucy's right and the quiz that I've written is way too easy. Uh, on the Chelsea women's team, by the way, those members of Emma Hayes' squad not on international duty are back at Cobham for pre-season training. The new WSL season kicks off on the weekend of the 10th of September. That Euro 2022 final then on Sunday at Wembley, England versus Germany. That after Germany beat Yves Perisay's France 2-1 on Wednesday. Jesse Parker Humphreys will be with us on Monday to go through that game. Next today, though, we're going to assess the state of the men's first team squad. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, You heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Now then, Thomas Tuchel has been insistent that there's plenty of work to be done on reshaping his squad between now and September the 1st when the transfer window shuts. But what's the beef with those currently on the books of the first team? Uh, Inspired by Tuchel's post-Arsenal laments and Simon's excellent piece on Chelsea's current issues, we thought we'd have ourselves a little bit of a squad audit. So we're not going to go through every player, but we'll look at some of the key names in key positions. We put this out on Twitter to Roosh has been in touch, who says, and, and I think he might have nailed this to a large extent, if given the opportunity, Colwell, Ampadu, Gallagher and Broya might be able to make an impact. He then says, huge clear out, desperately needed, Kepper, Azpilicueta, Alonso, Emerson, Babaram and Saar, Miazga, Kennedy, Loftus-Cheek, Barkley, Jorginho, Kante, Gilmore, Ziyech, Pulisic, Batshuayi and Werner, bloody hell, this is bad. Um, some of those may be a little, a little over the top, but yeah, there's a lot of work to do, basically. We start with the keepers, Simon. Edouard Mendy, a few people tweeting and saying his form has dipped after AFCON, but he's still the number one, right? And, and Kepa yeah. is, is still looking to try and get a move away. Napoli and Maurizio Sarri seem to be the most likely destination. Yeah. I mean, I, I think, again, sort of touching what I said earlier, that the problem problem for Kepa is like the problem with many, many other players. Is, is the wages, you know, it's it's it is a stumbling block. But I mean, I was told he was effectively saying goodbye to Chelsea players after the final game of last season. But here we are in pre-season, he's still there. So it, it, it's not it's not easy. But yeah, he obviously wants to move because there's still an outside chance if he has a good start to the season that he can get back in the Spain squad for the World Cup. Um, Napoli does make a lot of sense, but can an agreement be made? I think that the wages is, is where there's going to have to be some kind of compromise. As for Mendy, yeah, it's particularly with the ball at his feet, isn't it? 
since the West Ham, forget forget Afcon, is since the West Ham game at London Stadium where he gave away that penalty, he's suddenly just become really, really nervous whenever the ball's at his feet, and his distribution has been has been pretty disappointing. As we saw again in the in the Arsenal game, a, a poor pass led to led to one of the I think it was the second goal, wasn't it? Um, but he's still he's still a, a top goalkeeper, and I, and I think um, Koulibaly's presence once once he's fully in the team, of course they have a great connection uh, from being together with Senegal. I think that hopefully will set them down a little bit. The, the the question mark, of course, is if Kepa does go, who's the number two? I mean, I suppose does Marcus Bettinelli get promoted? I suppose he does because I can't, I'd be very surprised if Chelsea go out and sign a, another goalkeeper. But yeah, we'll see. Yeah, Bettinelli only one appearance last season in the Cup against Chesterfield. Teddy Sharman Lowe, the academy goalkeeper, was away with him in America, wasn't he? Um, Dom, I've got you pegged as an Edouard Mendy stan. Do you think that, that he is going to be able to improve on these issues we've identified with him next season or is the prospect of uh, identifying his replacement already begun? The confidence issue, will, that can be... That can be eased and and improved, and he, that will come back. It will just take a, good, a few good performances at the start of the season to to reinstill the, the belief in him. I don't think distribution was always his forte, particularly. I mean, even when he joined Chelsea and was 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 so good at from the outset, but maybe the, the as Simon says, the West Ham mistake had the nerves jangling thereafter. Um, but I, 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 don't, I have faith in him. I, I think he's a, I think he's one of the better goalkeepers in the Premier League. Uh, certainly one of the best shot stoppers in the Premier League. And I just think that given how much Chelsea have to do at the moment, finding a long-term successor for Edward Mendy is, is probably something they need to address at a future date. I don't think they're going to have time to do it now a week before the start of the season and a month before the end of this transfer window. It's certainly something they can get the wheels in motion in, in the longer term because that long-term successor is clearly not going to be Kepa, which is probably what Kepa hoped for originally. And it's just clearly not going to be the case now. But so there are other priorities in the team at the moment. And I mean, I think I think getting a second-choice goalkeeper is something that Chelsea should be able to do with given the the, the scouting department they've still got in place. Um, it may be that they they get somebody who is currently sitting on a bench in a, at another Premier League club, for example, but a player of experience who can come in and 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 do a job if required. Because Mendy, that that the hope will be that Mendy, you know, remains fit and is first choice for the foreseeable. Okay, so we're looking for a 2022 Willy Caballero then. Um, I guess the other the other interesting thing with Mendy is that he's lost two of his big allies in, in Petr Cech and Christoph Lolleshon uh, this summer. So one to keep an eye on. Let's move on to defence. Simon, I'm going to lump Cesar Azpilicueta and Marcos Alonso in together as I ask you the now weekly question, what's happening <laughs> with them and Barcelona? I'm getting really annoyed by this. I mean, either do one or get off the pot, as they say. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm actually writing um, a piece, a, a column, um, on Azpilicueta that will be out on Tuesday. But look, it speaks volumes that Azpilicueta hasn't said a word during pre-season. That, that says it all. He's not done anything. I don't think he's done even a, you know in-house interview just to say, yeah, pre-season's great, yeah. And nothing. The only thing the only thing he's done is invite me into his ice bath, which, um, <laughs> which was uh, a challenge everyone was delighted I didn't take up on. Um, but look, 
it is what it is. Everyone knows Barcelona have offered him a, a, a three-year contract. He turns 33 next month. It's a chance for him to go home. It's a no-brainer as far as Azpilicueta goes. Chelsea, what do they do? I'm going to argue in my piece that they should be selfish and just say no and say, sorry, Dave, <laughs> you're staying. And we will definitely pay you every penny we owe you in your contract. So take that. Yeah, yeah. Unlike some other clubs. Yeah, unlike some other clubs that <laughs> just seem to pay when they feel like it, when it suits them. But no, I, I, I just think, I just think even if he, he's a peripheral figure, playing time-wise, Chelsea have lost so many important figures in the last few months. It's been so much turmoil that perhaps sort of having this this guy, this guy that is Mr. Chelsea around is what Chelsea, the Chelsea squad need need right now. So my head says he will go, though. I, I just sort of think that some compromise will be reached. But a lot depends on who Chelsea bring in. If it stays as it is, where they've only signed Koulibaly, then of course he, he can't go because Chelsea is short on, on numbers. Not the same case with Alonso, though, is it, Don? Because they've got Ben Chilwell back to fitness and they've got Emerson back from loan. So you could see him feasibly being third choice anyway. So it, it seems strange to me that that one hasn't got done or is that just Barcelona doing Barcelona things? Yeah, I mean, do we know that Barcelona have actually put in a formal offer? I, I, I don't know. It's just been, it's been constant chat from Catalonia, hasn't it, really? I mean... I think if Chelsea Chelsea look at Emerson and Marcus Alonso, they, they may think they might get slightly more money for Emerson, possibly. Possibly. <laughs> it's much of a muchness. I don't think anyone would really be weeping if either of them left. I mean, Marcus Alonso has done very, very well for Chelsea, all, all things considered. We know what his fortes are. We know what his weaknesses are. He has provided some spectacular moments over his Chelsea career and some pretty dismal ones as well. And that's even before we talk about coaches at West Brom. But he's he's probably not the type of player that you want to be, you know, pinning your future future to. And and as as you say, I mean Ben Ben Chilwell and, and, and Reese James are this are this team's supply line. They are the creativity in this team. They are what can set Chelsea apart from so many other teams in the division. So they have to play, and they have to play as wing backs which will mean that Marcus Alonso at best is going to be a backup or a second-choice backup behind Emerson. And that's that's not actually a bad role for him, actually, in the grand scheme of things. So again, it, it would come down to what you can actually do. I, I think they do need backups for Chilwell and James. Last season proved that. But then finding somebody who's willing to sit on the bench while the first choice is, you know, make hay down the flanks every week, it's not easy. And so if you've got a couple on the books already and you can't find buyers acceptable buyers for either, then it's not a dreadful situation for them to be sitting there and, and filling in when needed. Mm, such a shame Tino Liveramento left yeah. last summer because he could have got an awful lot of game time. All right, we're going to take it that, that James and Chilwell and Koulibaly and, and Silva are, are assured of their places in the squad and, and probably the team too. Uh, Cuddly Whiskers has been on, Simon. Um, I don't think that's your burner account. They reckon that Ethan Ampadu could do big things if given a chance. Uh, this is a conversation that we've been having for a number of years about Ampadu. Obviously, massive season for, for him because he's a key part of the Wales team, isn't he? It's not like he's a, a peripheral member of the squad. He, he'll be starting every game for them at the World Cup. So he needs to be starting most games for somebody. Is there any chance at all that that will be Chelsea or is he going out on loan again? Um, I can. I mean, there's obviously a great chance he'll end up on loan. 
obviously. But having spoken to him out in America, as things stand, he, he's backing himself to to make an impact. I asked him directly. He, he was like, oh, I still have ambitions of making it to the very top. And I said, by that, do you mean Chelsea? He said, yeah, this is why I'm here on, on pre-season. Um, so he certainly got that ambition. But then I did sort of say, yeah, but... <laughs> I did raise the Wales question, you know, in terms of the World Cup and, and playing regularly is is obviously important for him to achieve those those ambitions. Um, is he going to play enough at Chelsea for Wales' liking? I'm, I'm not sure he will. But won't he benefit more by playing alongside or getting the chance to train alongside Silva, Koulibaly, et cetera, et cetera. Plus there's the fact he, he can play more than one position, which is a very sort of attractive thing for a manager and when you sort of think that Tuchel was interested in Aki you, you can sort of see there's a bit of a a parallel there a little little you know similar players aren't they but in saying that I still think deep down Chelsea will make some signings and then inevitably Ethan will be loaned out so he can get the kind of first team football he needs for that for his um, World Cup hopes guess maybe he doesn't need to play every week. If you look at that Wales squad, there are plenty of players who, who start for Wales who don't start uh, for their clubs. Uh, Trevor Chalibur, Dom, last year he was he was the next big thing. Elliot says, I think it'll be a really interesting season for Chalibur. If we don't sign a new centre-back, he'll be stepping up. But if he makes any big mistakes, he could be out. We saw one of those big mistakes in the game against Arsenal. Do you, do you think that he's got the full trust of Thomas Tuchel to be a, a key member of Chelsea's defence? Or, or was it more about absences of others that, that got him so much game time last season? It's hmm, a good question. Uh, I think the absence of others definitely certainly helped push him into that first team picture. He, he took his chance initially. He scored um, some fluky goal, didn't he, very early on, <laughs> which was, you know, most uncalled for. But, um, but he he took his chance really, really well, impressed at the start. He had, had the little dip. Um, and I, I suppose the concern is second season at this level, Opponents will know a bit more about him. He won't be this unknown factor if he if he does play at Chelsea. So, how does he rise to that challenge? How does he impose himself on games? I think he'll again he'll learn loads alongside Thiago Silva and now Koulibaly as well. He would have learned loads from Antonio Rudiger last season as well. The five substitute thing helps. He'll get game time, and I think Ampadu might as well. Incidentally, on on, on that front, particularly if he's these versatile players who can fill in a number of positions, as you say, they could get, they could play 15, 20 minutes here and there in Premier League fixtures and keep them ticking over in terms of fitness. And it's possibly not in terms of the World Cup with Trevor, but but with Ampadu, certainly. And it, look, it's at the very least, he's an excellent player to have in the squad, Trevor Chaloba. It's not as if Chelsea should suddenly be looking to shift him. I mean, they, they simply haven't got the the bodies at the back to to do that and so to have him around the place uh, a player who's hungry and ambitious and, and believes that he can be involved in the first team I think will be beneficial to Tuchel and then it's just a matter of whether Chaloba takes a chance when it comes So this season's Chaloba might be Levi Colwill the might though Simon comes from from these rumblings that, that he might fancy move elsewhere if he's not going to get much game time what, what's the latest with Colwill? Uh, not much has changed. Um, I think he's kind of in a holding pattern at an airport, a bit like me when I landed from uh, Las Vegas and just sat in a plane for an hour. Um, 
I could go on a bit of The heart bleeds now. on the way back from Las Vegas, yeah. Oh, well, you know. Had to sit on the plane for an extra hour, did you? Yeah, Yeah, and then Shame. the luggage took another hour as well. <laughs> I'm still not over it. Um, but Levi is, I think, he, the only reason he hasn't gone yet is because Chelsea haven't signed defenders. It, it feels like, oh, we'll keep you around in case. But I, I'm not getting the impression that he is seen as a, as a go-to guy right now. I think there's a concern, is it too early for him you know, in terms of management? He has only had one um, loan, a very good loan. But um, look, he's an ambitious guy. He knows as much as he loves Chelsea. And I, and I know, as per usual, when my article <laughs> attracted that I wrote out in America attracted a lot of criticism. And I understood the sort of uh, the sentiment. Um but I didn't quite get why people were going after Levi Colwell and angry about his lack of ambition, all this kind of thing. I think you've got to be realistic and go, like, all these young players, not just sort of talking about Levi, all these young players are looking at the other youngsters that have left Chelsea and are playing games and going, well, yeah, I love Chelsea and I'd love to make it at Chelsea, but they're going after Koulibaly. <laughs> they're going after Raheem Sterling. They're going after players that they want to win now. They're not... They're not going to be giving me lots of game time. So maybe the best thing for my chances of making at Chelsea is to actually go away and then come back again. So, yeah, this is my long-winded way of saying that if Chelsea go out and sign another defender, Carl Wills barely played in pre-season. I know he's had a bit of an injury problem, but again, I think that that, that says a lot about where, it, where he is in the pecking order and that um, I think he's now about fifth choice. Another one comes in, he'll be down to sixth, you know. So that says it all. So can I ask, how much do you think Chelsea would want for him? I mean, you're talking in the sort of the sort of Mark Gehe sort of Tamori esque um, figure. I think would be a realistic, realistic sum because he is he is being seen as a England international of the future. I mean, he's incredibly rated. You know, not just by people in the game, but sort of ex players from. Rio Ferdinand to John Terry, like everyone's sort of thinking this guy's the real deal. Um, so if you're Chelsea, he's, he's, he's got, I think, three years on his contract because he signed a new deal last year. They can command top dollar. The, the interesting thing will be if the new owners, and I hope they do do this, take on the same idea as the previous owners, which was to start inserting buybacks and clauses and all that kind of thing, because it'd be madness if they do sell Colwell to not include a buyback clause because I, I think, you know, in give him a year or two of, of Premier League football and, and he'll be a very, very fine, polished product that could play for Chelsea for years to come. We'll wait and see with Colwell then. Let's move on to the to the midfield. Um, Mateo Kovacic, I think we can say, he's pretty secure in his place. We know what we're going to get from him. Likewise, Ross Barkley uh, will be heading out the door if they can find somebody to take him. Billy Gilmore probably going on loan too. Kennedy will will never leave, but but won't. Kennedy play. piece. <laughs> uh, Conor Gallagher, Dom. You saw more of him than we did last season. Does he fit into the way that, that Chelsea have traditionally played under Thomas Tuchel? Not from what I saw last season, but he's got the talent to adapt, I think. And it may be that Chelsea have to to tweak things as well if they if they want to use him in a in, in the most productive way and I, I think there are ways of doing it um, certainly if, they, if Chelsea have the capability of playing four at the back then Conor Gallagher can make a, a mark as a sort of marauding 
midfielder and he played on the sort of right side of a three last season the interesting thing well I think he's played as a six hasn't he largely in pre-season and, and uh, he maybe hasn't quite I don't know I don't know what people expected really he's, he, if, if you are playing in a slightly different position from the from the one where you scored eight goals last year and, and, was, and were creative and, and industrious and and, and, and attack minded if you're, if you're asked to play slightly deeper then your impact's going to be slightly different plus it's pre-season and you know, people will focus far too readily and easily on on a, a really poor penalty. I mean, it's that's neither here nor there, and doesn't mean anything in the long term. I think over the course of a season, he will prove himself capable of playing for Chelsea and Thomas Tuchel. But I think there will be a period of adaptation that will be required from both sides. Really, I don't think he'll just sit fit seamlessly in and and have the same impact that he had at Palace. That whole team was built around him at Palace. He won't be at Chelsea. He'll be a, a cog in a bigger machine. And um, I think people need to have that that sense of realism about the impact that he can make. I might be playing alongside either Jorginho or N'Golo Kante. Let, let's do a two-for-one on, on these guys, Simon, both with a, a year left on their contract. Uh, firstly, has, has there been any indication that, that Chelsea might be looking to sell either of them? And, and secondly, if they are... Does it get a bit difficult to sell Kante a, because he spent a lot of time injured, but also because of his status as unvaccinated? I can only go by um, what Tuchel was saying and talking about out in America, and and he he still seemed to be stressing their importance in the team for him, and that he wanted uh, the, their contract situation to be sorted out. Um, there has been links Conte with Man United. But I could only see one of those two going if they're bringing someone else in. It doesn't make much sense to lose someone of, of their experience and know-how if, you, if you're not going to have a replacement in. There is a connection with De Jong. There's a lot of sort of noises about De Jong and this whole Manchester United-Barcelona saga that, that's dragging on. But Jorginho, to me, certainly out on tour, didn't give the impression he's off anywhere. Um, he seemed very, I mean, I spoke to him after the very first training session that the media were allowed to watch and he seemed very kind of upbeat and actually sort of enjoying the fact he's had a rest because um, he's had quite an intense schedule for the last few years. And and I spoke to him, well, I think it was like the year anniversary of winning the Euros and, and, and he said, yeah, he was talking about how great it was that he was, he'd finally had some time off and, and, he did look well. Apart from the Arsenal game, he had he had been looking sort of quite sharp. Um, so I, I think, as things stand, I don't think either of those two are leaving. But hey, a month is a long time in this window, and particularly at Chelsea right now, I, I just think this Chelsea, anything can happen because it it is a bit of a bit of a bonkers situation. Uh, Callum Hudson Odoi, somebody who we got a lot of feedback uh, on on Twitter. Dom, I'll put these tweets to you, and then you tell me um, which side of the argument you're on. Burhan Ali thinks Hudson Odoi has been massively important to Tuchel, and that Chelsea missed him during his spell out due to injury. Can effectively play four positions. Neil says got a feeling Hudson Odoi will thrive this season, but Blue Dave uh, very much on the other side of the ledger. He says Timo has 27 goals and 17 assists in two seasons. Callum has eight goals and 15 assists in five seasons. Where's the conversation about him being absolutely dreadful? I think that's a little bit harsh. Remember, he had a very serious injury that he's had to come back from, but he has been slightly underwhelming from from where he was tipped. Do you think we we remember last preseason? Simon pointing out in that piece about how Thomas Tuchel had told him 
there was no hiding place for Callum Hudson-Odoi this season. We maybe didn't see the best of him. Is it, is it a kind of make-or-break campaign for him as, a, as an elite-level footballer this time around? Possibly, but then it probably is for a, for a lot of young players trying to make their marks at elite elite clubs um, every year round. I mean, it's it's his versatility makes him useful. He has filled in at wing back as well as in the front three, but his versatility also counts against him because he never gets a, a run of games in his favourite position. If he's trying to break into a front three that consists of Sterling, Havertz, and Mount, then. I think he's going to be frustrated. I think he's going to end up with more cameos off the bench than than starts, and that that will be something that 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 will get to him over time. But but it's up to. I think the message from Tuchel has been clear from the start. He wants he wants players who seize their opportunities. That's what Trevor Chaloba did at the start of last season. That's what Callum Hudson Odoi has to do when he gets his first opportunity this time round. He has to make himself undroppable. Uh, he can't be daunted by the competition for places up top. He has to just go for it and 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 prove his worth. And that's not a bad situation for for a head coach to find his squad in. To be honest, I mean it's up to them, isn't it? And the problem that Hudson Odoi has got sort of a problem. Though. It's not a problem that most people would complain about. Is he's on he's he's on massive wages as well. So it's not as if he's going to walk into a another club necessarily earning the same amount that he's had at Chelsea so um he has to he has to be realistic as well with it, with with his outlook but he just has to take his chance he just has to go out there and prove that he he should be in this Chelsea team uh, speaking of double-barreled Cobham graduates on high wages he flattered to deceive Ruben Loftus-Cheek Simon 26 years old so you know not a young man anymore in in footballers terms has he missed out by not going to America? Is is he another player who might be loaned out, or did he do enough last season to to convince you that he could be, you know, what he's going to be at Chelsea, which is a kind of bit part squad player? Uh, I think at Chelsea, that's probably the best best he's going to get now. But he still played a fair amount. You know, it wasn't like he was playing once every six weeks. He, he still played fairly regularly. And the last thing I was told about Ruben was that in terms of the coaching staff, is that they do feel that they've got a player there, but they wouldn't be the first coaching staff to <laughs> to think that. Michael Ballack last year, wasn't it? Thomas Tuchel was uh, comparing him to. Yeah, um, I, I, I think there's a similar frustration um, as far as the coaching staff is concerned about Ruben as there is with hudson Doy in that it's like, go on and do it. You know, sort of the, the talent is there. You show it in training a lot. And Ruben has shown it in, in games, but not enough, not consistent enough in, in games, let alone over a, a period of time. But I don't think he's, he's going to go anywhere. I, I think he is part of the the makeup of the squad. But you know, will he be you know first name on the team sheet? Definitely not. It, it's kind of a he will be rotated. You know, I think we should all be realistic. I mean, that that tweet about listing that long list of names of players that should go, sort of thing. It's like that's half the squad. Um, you know, you have to you have to live in the real world and go look. You know, yeah, there are a few fringe players that will leave, but you got to keep keep those guys that can come in and slot in and and, and give guys a break. And, and Ruben is brilliant at that in the sense that you know he's not going to be going off moaning. And causing a problem behind the scenes, you know, he is a really good pro as well. So um, I'm looking forward to seeing how he kicks on. And and yeah, it it, do, it does seem scary that he's 26, but at the same time, you go, he's still only 26. You know, there's 
these peak years, as everyone, it's a bit of a cliche, but his peak years are still in front of him. So there is still room for him to develop and, and become, perhaps fulfil that potential that has been talked about since he was a teenager. Uh, we'll move on to the forwards. Mason Mount, midfielder or forward, take your pick, but he, he's pretty secure in his place, the double player of the year. Kai Havertz as well, we, we think he's going to be the, the number nine. Christian Pulisic, Dom, again, another player who we seem to have the same conversation about. Is this going to be the season where he kicks back into gear, always go back to the 2020 FA Cup final and that hamstring injury and just hasn't looked the same since obviously attractive to the new owners because of his nationality but but do you think that he's going to be able to actually fulfill the potential he showed in his early days at Chelsea this time around he'd probably argue it's down to game time now he, again he just needs he needs rhythm to his 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 appearances on the field I, I don't want to I don't want to sort of echo everything I said about Callum Hudson-Odoi but it, it comes down to taking opportunities again and and I don't think he would be particularly up for moving now you know, four months before a a World Cup, the prospect of moving at this time closer you get to deadline as well. It, I think people worry about you know making an impact immediately at their new club and therefore whether they carry any form into the into the tournament in in the middle of the middle of the season in December. I think he will get game time at Chelsea enough to justify staying for the next few months, but it may well be that. That he's not in that first choice front three, and that 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 game time is is spent either coming off the bench to to ease the workload on Sterling Mount, or it's from a position at wing back, um, which he probably doesn't favour particularly, but but he does a job for the team. And there have been sort of glimpses over the over his time with Tuchel at Chelsea where that he has he has done a job. Um, well in, on the flank there as a wing back so it's a difficult one but as Simon says with five substitutes with the, the number of games Chelsea are going to be playing as well with the World Cup in mid-season with the amount of squad upheaval that is still required in terms of additions and getting rid of more obvious fringe players than Christian Pulisic I'd be I'd be surprised if if he departed now uh, which is but he has, then has to go and justify his his long term future at the club by by taking the chances that come his way. A lot of talk about the long term future of Timo Werner while you're in America, Simon, and indeed once you'd come home again. Do we do we know what the latest with that is in terms of what what his intentions are and and what Thomas Tuchel's plans for him next season are? Uh, Timo spoke to uh, the national press out in America and and pretty much pretty much said, yeah, I'm, I'm not not happy and looking to be quite happy to play anywhere as in anywhere else I think was the the gist of what he was saying and and like you know again for fear of repeating myself it, it's again about wages trying to get a deal with someone um, I don't think Tuchel will be particularly upset if he leaves only um, being a striker down a striker I say inverted commas um, <laughs> I guess because he's been a big disappointment. I mean, his performance against Arsenal, he's given a chance from the start to show what he can do. I think I even tweeted that, you know, it's a performance of someone that doesn't want to be there anymore. It, it, it was pretty pathetic, to be honest. He's obviously not, not happy um, with being demoted to a very minor role, but look in the mirror, mate. <laughs> you know, the reason you're not playing a lot is because you haven't, you haven't performed, you haven't scored goals, you, you, you're not doing the business. 
he was offered to Juventus um, as part of Chelsea's pursuit of De Ligt. So that is a potential opportunity. Uh, Juventus has come round again in, in the chats over the last few days. Um, also Germany, inevitably, there's, there's going to be chat about RB Leipzig, etc. But again, very difficult deals to do because he's one of the biggest earners at Chelsea. Uh, Raheem Sterling, obviously, he's the marquee signing he's going to play. Armando Broia, we still don't know about, Dom. Um, I'm going to quote my fellow Chelsea TV commentator, Ben Andrews, here, who uh, speculated, hello, West Ham, here's Werner and Broia and Barkley and 50 million quid. Give us Declan Rice. Um, <laughs> that might work out quite nicely for everybody. But the Broia to West Ham thing, is that done now that Skamaka's gone there? And if so, where does that leave Broia? Because he looked as though he wanted out and... and is there a big line of clubs waiting to come and take him, Everton linked to, or is he going to be better off hanging around and, and getting the minutes at Chelsea? I think he might get minutes, you know. I think he might play. Um, he, won't, he won't start. I think Havertz will be the main man through the middle, but I think the Broja's the next best thing. I mean, you certainly pick him ahead of Michi Batshuayi going through the middle, wouldn't you? I mean, it's... And in terms of sort of natural number, number nines, I, I think he... He's a player that's still developing. He's still getting better. But to be on the in and around the Chelsea first team for for a, a period of a regular period might actually do him the world of good. He might actually learn a lot more. He might get minutes in the Chelsea team. He, Chelsea will create more chances than Southampton did last season. He might score more goals um, as a result. That, that, that there are all these things that it could all snowball for him. And no, I, I don't think he'll go to West Ham now. So that leaves. You know, possibly going back to Southampton or going to Everton, maybe on a loan if if or if Calvert Lewin leaves. But really, I mean, is that is that going to necessarily progress his career? I mean, Everton don't look in brilliant fettle at the moment. Southampton have had a massive overhaul this summer, so it's, there's an element of risk. Anyone going there at the moment, I I think that if he's got the self confidence that we think he does. And he should have really as a, as an international footballer of that age who's, who's made a, an impact in the Premier League. Then, then I'd I'd back myself to to make a mark at Chelsea and and to be offered opportunities, um, maybe as a backup to Kai Havertz initially. But you know, do well, you never know. In summary, then Simon, plenty of work to do, but no reason for panic. No, because we we know that these owners mean business. You know, they, they want to make Chelsea a success. So, yeah, they brought two players in. Do I think that by the end of the window, there'll only be two players signed? No, I, I think they'll still go out and buy some more players. It's just, this is all a knock-on effect of last season and the time of the takeover getting done. Chelsea were behind from the get-go. I think fans have to be a bit realistic of just how what a seismic situation this is and it, it these guys are, are are also sort of learning as they go you know they're, they're also new to all of this so is it has it been the perfect window definitely not but is that a surprise no it, it was always pretty inevitable it was going to be this way they are going to make mistakes but I, I just think it's a it's important for Chelsea to try and muddle through those first few games as best they can and then you know let's see where they are come the end of the window and then we can start to sort of properly assess where the squad's at and what the realistic ambitions are for the, for Chelsea this season are. Completely agree with that. Five weeks effectively left 
for Chelsea to do business in the market. We see, we always see a rush of players leaving, fringe players leaving towards the end of a window. I mean, that to, on the transfer deadline, that, that happens every year and it will happen, I'm sure. Again, I mean, Baba Rahman's got to go somewhere. Uh, <laughs> that, that that will happen. And that's five weeks for Chelsea to, to prize people away from elsewhere and, and to make this squad more what Tuchel would want to work with. Look, it may well be that, that those... Like we, given the, the tiny margins within the Premier League, you know you can drop points in, in those games that have a detrimental effect on the whole season. That it was certainly, you know, <laughs> you lose two of your first five, you're out of the title race these days. But we don't think Chelsea are going to be competing for the Premier League title anyway this season, realistically speaking. So it's then about recovery, and it's about how how quickly the new guys gel. And there will be new guys. There will be new players in this team it's inevitable and people just need to be patient and, and, and see where we are on September the 1st. There you go. Listen, that's made me feel a bit better. Hopefully you too. All right, we're going long today, but there's always time for a quiz. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Customers are rushing to your store. Do you have a point-of-sale system you can trust or is it a mm, real POS? You need Shopify for retail. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into the one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in line and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or use Shopify's POS Go mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash theathletic, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash theathletic to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash theathletic. (laughs) 
Okay, I'm concerned. Lucy says that this is too easy. Um, I'll just get that out there just to pile a little bit of pressure. On I'm, say, I'm concerned now. <laughs> Dom, here's your first question. Which former Watford forward, now at Udinese, had no success in his two previous appearances against Chelsea, losing both? Uh, Delafu, is it is his name? No. Simon, can you steal no. it? No. No. Uh, the oh, it's the blooming, blooming it's Isaac's not... success. That's success. why I said success oh, in I the question. That. Yeah, so that's a no. I hate quizzes. Dom, you're against the clock, so this is good. You've got 20 seconds. I'm starting my timer uh, as I read the question out. Name <laughs> the... Oh, by the way, the theme here is Italians and Italian things because Chelsea play in Udinese. Name the six Italians to have managed Chelsea on a permanent basis. 20 seconds, starting now. Conte, Sari, Di Matteo, Ranieri... Um, well, why do you get 20 seconds? That's a bit cheeky. Viali, uh, and uh, permanent basis six seconds. What? Um, and the other fella, you know, that bloke, uh, yeah, Ancelotti. Oh, 20.1. I'll give it you. Well done, Tom. Oh, that was thrilling. Final question Which <laughs> Serie R side signed Davide Zappacosta on a permanent transfer last August? Uh, Oh, he was on loan at Roma, wasn't he? I don't think he signed for them. Uh, oh, no, I have no idea. Roma. Simon, you stealing? Probably not. Um, Fiorentina. Nope, it was Atalanta. Ah. <laughs> right, Dom's got to leave us now. Many thanks for your time today, Dom. I'll let you know how Simon gets on and, and how much he beats you by. <laughs> This is a fix. <laughs> Cheers, all. See you later. See you, Dom. Right, Simon, Dom's left the room. Am I going to fix this now so that you win? No. Yeah. Uh, well, wait, it, I, I could make a joke about, you know, this is about Italy, so fixing should be part of the... <laughs> Ooh, uh, yeah, the Athletics uh, Vast Legal Department uh, are telling me to stop you there. Uh, so your score to beat is one. Uh, I, I'm, I'm pleased with this to be honest after producer Lucy buried this quiz before it even started it uh, which Chelsea player scored against Udinese last season oh okay are we talking ex Chelsea player though which no. Chelsea player scored against Udinese last season so someone that's come back from loan. Da, 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 da. It's not Ethan, is it? It's not, I'm afraid. It was Kaladu Kulibali. Something of a trick <laughs> question, but also you should have got it. Um, all right, so you need the next two to win. Can Don win in absentia? That would be extraordinary, even by the standards. Like I said, I'm, I'm in pre-season form. Chelsea <laughs> pre-season form. Right, question two. Against which country did Jorginho miss penalties in two of Italy's World Cup qualifiers last year? So he missed two penalties in separate games against the same oppo. Switzerland. Switzerland is correct. So this to win it. Question three. Equaliser. I'm, I'm, I'm up at one all, the full one. Yeah, go on. <laughs> I reckon this is the one that Lucy knew straight away, so we'll see if you do too. Um, which Italian team did Matteo Kovacic used to play for? Oh. Oh, no. I, I know this, but don't know this. If you Massive boost for my quiz and confidence, this, by the way. That it's been such a struggle. <laughs> oh, damn it. 
I'm going to kick myself when you tell me. Um, so far, two of five questions have been answered correctly. I'm going to say Fiorentina again, but I know it's not. It's not. It's not. It's one all. How unsatisfying uh, for the quiz purist, but deeply satisfying for me. The answer was Inter Milan. <laughs> um, well, that was good. One all draw. <laughs> Let's hope that next week it goes a little bit better. Uh, Right, we're nearly done. You'll be pleased to know, Simon. Plenty of time for you to get quiz prepping, but tell us a bit more about what you've been writing, please. Um, Well, there's the piece I wrote at the start of the week, which kind of reflects the theme of the podcast, um, which is uh, reflecting on Tuchel's comments. But yes, there's cause for concern, but don't panic. It's not all bad. There's the Azpilicueta column that I'm writing now, but I'm also trying right now to uh, uh there's a few other things in the pipeline that i'm working on one one involving an answer to the, the question that i didn't get right uh Kula Bally. so um <laughs> so yeah but but yeah that's about it at the moment it's um and also just getting over the fact that i'm I haven't slept and i've got jet lag still for america Bless you. Uh, there's loads of other Chelsea stuff up on The Athletic now. Mark Carey has written a piece on alternatives for Chelsea to Jules Kunde. Our friend Liam's got an article on Chelsea starting the season without a recognised number nine. And we're Dom still here. He could tell us all about the day Diego Costa dominated Manchester City. Go to theathletic.com slash Chelsea pod to sign up now if you aren't currently a subscriber. Uh, right, from next week, we are back to two shows a week as we build up to the start of the Premier League season. Join us on Monday if you can. For now, though, many thanks to Dom for joining us earlier, to Simon, to producer Lucy and to you for tuning in. We'll be back with you on Monday. Speak to you then. 